This is the Positive Psychology Podcasts, episode 76. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. First of all, I'd like to thank those of you who have pre-ordered my first audiobook called Brainwash. As Derek Sivers said in his TED talk, the first follower is what transforms the lone nut into a leader. It's an underappreciated form of leadership in itself. As more people join, it becomes less risky. So those of you who ordered early took a risk and they took you took the risk that your money might get pumped into an audiobook that will go unfunded. I want to thank you again on air, this time from the bottom of my heart. Quite a few of you also sent me messages of support, which ranged from encouragement, don't be shy, you have been delivering value to us for two years, it's fine to ask for something in return. Others have said things like, you're my traveling companion on long drives, and I can't tell you how as an avid traveler and road tripper myself, I like that a part of me gets to cruise along with you guys in Boston or Australia, wherever you are. Now, before we get into today's content, just let me tell you how things are progressing with Brainwash. The two budgeted recording days at the studio are 73% funded. Yay! Now, we need to fill up that to 100% and then make sure that the mixing and mastering is also covered, as well as travel and accommodation, because I can't record this in Switzerland. It's way too expensive. So if you were on the fence because you were not sure this was happening, rest assured that I have made a tentative reservation at the studio that will be confirmed once the mixing and mastering costs are covered. If all goes well, I will start recording on September 30th through October 2nd. 2016. For those of you who want to hear more about Brainwash and whether it's something you want to check out, I will keep releasing new updates, sneak peeks, or sneak listens, and more in the coming weeks. And if you are just waiting to see whether this is a thing or whether I will never speak of it again, I think we can safely say that we crossed that bridge. You can find out more on gum.co slash brainwash that is gum.co co slash brainwash all one word okay now the meat and the potatoes even though i'm a vegetarian p.s you don't have to be a dad to make dad jokes okay so today i have christian von neuerberg with me and he's an world-class expert on coaching so christian who are you and why are you so good at what you do? Thank you, Kristen. Uh, I've been looking forward to having this conversation. And thanks for the opportunity to introduce myself briefly. Um, I've been passionate about uh, coaching for, for a little while now, probably about 10 years. Um, and to introduce myself, uh, currently I'm Associate Professor of Coaching at Henley Business School. Um, uh, what I do there is I teach coaching at postgraduate level. Um, I've been an executive coach for a while now, and I still do that. I don't have as many clients as I used to, but I still have clients dotted around 
throughout the world. And um, I'm also quite interested in the use of coaching and positive psychology in educational settings. So I work with a company called Growth Coaching International. And through that company, I get to do a lot of work with schools, colleges, and universities. So that's me in a nutshell. Thank you. We'll talk about the school stuff a little bit later. So let's start with talking about why do you think that coaching is so popular? I mean, I remember, I don't think five or 10 years ago, there was this explosion that we're seeing now. Why do you think that is? I think uh, the explosion is something that should be welcomed. Um, it means that um, there's a need for it and that people are appreciating it. So why is coaching so powerful now? That's a wonderful question. I do think that it's um, uh, coaching is a conversational interaction, if we want to keep it simple. It's a conversational interaction between two people. So that can't be the thing that makes it powerful because that goes on all the time. But I think what makes it powerful is what I, I talk about as a coaching way of being. And it's the, the way in which the coach interacts with the other person which for me is a respectful way of interacting. It's a way that's non-judgmental. And it's also a way that um, ultimately uh, the coachee, the person receiving the coaching, believes that the coach is there to support them. So it's a supportive conversation with somebody who's respectful and who isn't going to judge you. And I think that is at the heart of what makes coaching powerful and probably that's why uh, coaching is as successful as it has been. It sounds strange, but I sometimes live by this logic that I want to make the thing that I'm doing obsolete. Mm. So I'm not sure if you if you know what I mean or if my listeners know what I mean. So let me just get into that for a second. So for example, at the bank, all right, what I try to do is to teach people so well that eventually they don't need me anymore or to create computer systems which work so well that you that you really don't need that much brain to go with it all right mm -hmm. so based on what you just said if we could evolve as a species would it be right to say that if we all manage to talk in a respectful and supportive way with each other that coaching will be obsolete as well yeah i love that question excellent uh, question um I, I'm going to say yes and no to that one. Uh, yes, in the sense that we probably wouldn't need people called coaches uh, to go around and interact with others. Um, and uh, so just to answer the, the yes part of your question first, um, as a, an executive coach myself, my actual intention is to make myself redundant. Um, and so, therefore, when I agree coaching contracts, it's for a limited period of time. And that is to make it clear that this is a temporary supportive intervention, but that ultimately I'm not going to be uh, uh, around uh, because it's very important in coaching to build up the self-belief, self-confidence and self-efficacy of our coaches. So, yes, I agree with you from that point of view uh, in executive settings I'm a fan of short-term coaching interventions just to make sure we don't build up a dependency culture. Where I disagree that it becomes com completely obsolete is that another, another powerful aspect of coaching 
is the human interaction. And it's a particular type of human interaction, coaching. And it's the particular type of human interaction where the coachee is the center of attention. So it might be that uh, in my dream scenario, every educator, every professional would be trained in coaching already. So everybody would have these coaching skills. And so what I'd love to see is that everybody has the skills and the way of being. Uh, and at certain times, uh, I would come to you, for example, and say, hey, I'd like a coaching conversation. And what I'd be meaning by that is I'd like a conversation where um, I'm the focus of attention for a little while and we together talk through uh, what it is I'm trying to achieve and how I might achieve that. So uh, I think it's a fascinating question. And in principle, I agree uh, that um, maybe the, the, the role of executive coach would be less needed if every organization, every context were filled with, you know, uh, flourishing workplaces where people can have open and honest conversations all the time. You already mentioned that coaching can achieve self-efficacy, confidence. What other things can coaching achieve? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm a, a part of me is an academic researcher. So um, I'm keen to find evidence-based answers to some of these questions. But what's fascinating to me about coaching is that apart from some of the side effects which we tend to measure, um, the main uh, ability of coaching is to help people achieve whatever it is they want to achieve. So you could say coaching helps people to achieve a promotion, but that's if that's what they want. You could say coaching helps people to achieve better work-life balance, if that's what they want. So um, coaching is, is powerful in that it helps people to achieve their self-selected goals, which are important for them at the time that we're having this, uh, uh, at the time that we're having the coaching conversation. But what I mean by side effects is, regardless of what the particular topic is, regardless of what my coachee would like to achieve, there is some evidence coming out in the research that there's uh, benefits that emerge as a re result of being coached. And some of those uh, are to do with uh, experiencing higher levels of well-being, and some of them are to do with increased um, uh, uh, resilience or mental toughness. So um, I think it's, it's difficult to pick the, the few things that coaching can achieve. It it can achieve, it's helpful for coaches to achieve their own targets. And, and while I'm talking about that, I think it's helpful for me to reiterate what I think coaching is. And so if I were to define coaching at the moment, it's um, coaching is um, a conversation that's about helping people to set um, and achieve personally meaningful goals. When I look around at coaching offers, sometimes what bothers me is a bit the, I don't know, the certainty that they put into it. You know, that I feel that people promise things like self-confidence or a promotion. And it just, while I understand from a marketing perspective that you can't be like, oh, it's all up to you and I'm just a little part in this puzzle. But at the same time, I do feel that 
sometimes I'm not sure how honest it is to promise some of these things just because the individual themselves, it's just so much is up to them, no? Yeah, absolutely. So much is up to them. And um, I can see uh, a tension here between ethics. There's a, a, a coaching, you know, at its heart has to be driven by ethical practice. So there's an ethical aspect to this. And uh, if we look at the code of ethics of any of the professional coaching associations, um, I think it's not appropriate to make exaggerated claims. So that's uh, definitely something that all coaches need to be aware of. We need to think carefully about what we say. We need to be careful that we don't overpromise or exaggerate what coaching might do. Um, and on the other hand, on the other side of this is an interesting question, uh, which is that I think uh, coaches, good coaches, actually believe that their coaches are able to achieve uh, what it is they set out to do. So I think there's a bit of a tension there, um, and uh, it's probably uh, an interesting tension. But this this idea that the coach believes the coachee is able to achieve more than they're currently achieving, that has to be built in. And maybe sometimes that's presented in a way that's over-enthusiastic. Um, but in my own experience, if I think about my own coaching experience, many of my clients do achieve uh, the things that they set out to achieve, even when they're doubtful at the outset. So I can think of a client, for example, who came along and said, look, I'd like to achieve this X thing. And at the same time, they were saying, but I don't really think I've got what it takes. I don't think I have the right characteristics, etc." So they were doubtful at the outset. And as a coach, I think what I brought was hopefully non-judgmental, but supportive and encouraging stance, which is in my heart, I thought, you know, if you put your mind to it, if you put energy behind it, you probably can achieve the things you want to achieve. So there are times when the coachee is a little bit doubtful, but uh, with the support of a, an encouraging coach, they do achieve those things. But your question has raised an interesting question that I'm currently thinking about. Uh, as an executive coach, I, I have supervision. So, and this is one of the things that I'll be taking uh, to coaching supervision to explore with my um, coaching supervisor. Because I've been thinking, you know, I like to do a good job with whatever, whatever it is I'm doing. And I've been thinking, how do I evaluate my coaching practice and what you've said has just triggered this for me because if I were to say I'm going to evaluate my coaching practice based on whether my coaches achieve what they set you know set their as their own tasks or not as you said uh, Kristen it's so much up to them you know and uh, I feel a little bit uncomfortable taking credit for the fact that my coachee, through their own inspiration, through their own efforts, energy, uh, have achieved something. So I'm thinking um, that's not a good way to evaluate whether I've done my job as a coach, because my job is not to make sure they achieve or not. And, you know, for example, it's very possible that I, I could do what I consider to be a good job as a coach and the coachee doesn't achieve the goal they set out or the coachee changes their mind about what it is they want to do. So 
I guess what I've been thinking about is what then is the role of the coach and how do you evaluate whether coaching is effective or not? And so currently I'm thinking about really the, my responsibility as a coach is to create the right environment. So that's what I should be evaluating. And so I should be evaluating to what extent as a coach did I create a safe, supportive environment in which the coachee for, could think things through for herself or himself. So um, th by doing that, we allow the coach to distance herself or himself from the outcomes, which I think should be entirely the responsibility of the coachee. So if they're successful, they've done that. If they're not successful, they need to think again about different ways of becoming successful in what they want or think about different goals that are more aligned to uh, who they are. I was wondering, coaching is not something we need with the same urgency as, say, a doctor or a primary school teacher. Mm. So some see it as a luxury, as the, you know, the last thing to get. Let's say, I imagine if you're an, at, an, at an organization, I mean, I work for a bank and I mean, they've been basically saving money for the last 13 years or something. So, so for me, it's, I find it hard to convince people that that's needed if I were, if I wanted that. I don't want to be in the position to convince anybody of anything in general. But like, if I wanted to, how would I do that? Yeah, uh, I'm going to give you another long answer, perhaps. I hope that's Please okay. Please do, of course. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the good thing about my listeners is that they have an attention span, which trumps, you know, the obvious, the usual three-second video or something. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm not good with three-second answers. So um, w when is it needed, and is it a luxury, or is it essential? Um, I'll, I'll start with where is it needed, Um one of the really key principles for me about coaching, as I said at the beginning, is about this is a respectful interaction between two, two human beings. So the first uh, important thing is that it's the coachee who should identify the need. So the need should come from the coachee that they would like to achieve something that they're not achieving or they'd like to overcome a particular obstacle that they're facing or they'd like to just explore how to align what it is they do with their kind of beliefs and sense of self, etc. So uh, the first point I'd make is the need should come from uh, the coachee. The second point in an organizational context is that um, uh, if we're looking at uh, a situation of limited resources, which is almost in every every scenario, and an organization we're thinking about how do we deploy coaching to best effect? How do we use the limited resources that, that are available to us? I would say the best place to deploy it, where we're going to get the biggest uh, advantage, the, the most traction, is in that space that Jim Collins would call good to great. That's where coaching has the biggest impact. Um, so uh, I want to, us to move away in organizations from the concept that coaching is a remedial intervention. It's probably, that's the worst investment. If you spend money that's available for coaching uh, by directing somebody who is perceived not to be performing to receive coaching, that's where we're least likely to get uh, an advantage. So that's, I would say that's my second point in an organizational context that we should be targeting it to 
uh, good performers. We should also, it's also very effective at, uh, with high performers who want to think about how to improve, constantly improve. And then the, the third thing I'd say about this is about how do we convince people about the benefits of coaching? And I don't know the answer to that. I think if I did, uh, I'd probably be uh, much wealthier than I am and uh, sitting on an island somewhere. I actually am sitting in, on an island, which is the United <laughs> Kingdom, but uh, on a different kind of island, perhaps. And, and that is, um, I'm not so convinced that we should be selling it. And this probably comes back to your point about going onto a website and people making uh, uh, big claims for what it can do. And in my experience, the best way to get people to see the potential power and uh, of coaching is through uh, experience. So I really think that um, decision makers, before they commit uh, amounts of money to this kind of project, uh, uh, should experience it for themselves. So I think if, if decision makers have experienced it, they'll be in a better position to judge whether it's of value. And if I can just add on now why I think it's of value in organizations. Is that okay, Kristen? Of course, please do. Um, the, um, when I've, I've worked in a number of organizations and I've seen it work very well. Um, and I've seen situations where it's become so difficult to implement that uh, it probably hasn't had the kind of impact that everybody would have liked. And where I'm seeing the, the advantages are uh, when uh, organizations are willing to offer coaching across the organization, uh, but to people who are interested in it, to people who have a desire to achieve more than they're currently achieving. So one thing that organizations will get if they give access to coaching to their employees is a clear message to, to the employees that um, the organization is interested in their development. So you're going to get that already. The research shows that coaching is able to help people to achieve more quickly things that they want to achieve with the support of coaching conversations. So organizations will get that as well. But there's a kind of a hidden benefit in all of this is that uh, when uh, managers, senior leaders, anybody in an organization experiences this kind of conversation, that they start to wonder about its uh, applicability in leadership roles as well. So what I mean by that is if you've had a coach and the coach's main role has been to listen, to ask thought-provoking questions, to summarize, to challenge in a, a supportive way, but really to allow the coachee to take ownership for those decisions, if you've experienced that yourself, I think it's very likely that you'll start to wonder whether in, in leadership and management context, some of these aspects might work. So very recently, for example, I was coaching someone and, and they came to a realization about uh, the way that in which they have their meetings with their direct reports. And they one of the questions that was raised was, you know, this manager, for example, would be typing into the computer during this conversation because the conversation has to be recorded, etc. And so my coachee said, you know, I wonder if doing that is actually getting in the way in some aspects of the relationship I have with my direct report. Mm 
So that's a small example of how some of those hidden benefits that could come out if coaching were uh, available in, in an organizational context. For me, that really speaks to the power of reflection in general, something that we don't take the time. And that's, that's if I may expand on that, I had many years ago, it's about 10 years ago, I worked in the US and mm. we, were, we were doing a project and I just wondered like, how is it possible that me, the 23-year-old, walks in here is the best prepared person. Like, how is it possible that all these people who have, like, these ridiculously high ranks mm -hmm. just don't... And I'm, I was just thinking, like, honestly, not in a, like, cynical way. At some point, I was just thinking, like, I'm genuinely curious. How is this possible? Yeah. And then it just occurred to me that what happens is that People send, you know, the meeting agenda like three and a half minutes before they get to the yeah. meeting or something like that. These yeah. managers are obviously in some other meeting. Yeah. I get the time to look it over, at least that. Or if it's, you know, maybe three hours before I can read the whole thing and they don't. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering if, you know, one part is definitely what you mentioned earlier, the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. That is huge part but then i also wonder is it simply the benefits of reflection that we don't take the time and we can't i mean if if i'm seen to just be thinking and not typing mm. and i don't have a case in front of me you know like it's not something where it's like oh she's clearly thinking about this tax law or something but but it's just if if the boss would walk by five times like that i i would probably be in trouble <laughs> so I'm wondering if like one of the big benefits is simply the reflection, the time to reflect that we otherwise don't permit ourselves to have. Excellent uh, point again, uh, Kristen. And um, I don't have the any kind of research evidence to point to, but um, if, if we can take into account feedback from my own coachees, um, that's a frequent piece of feedback that I get. At the end of the coaching interactions, I tend to ask how, how the sessions were. And one of my questions is, what did you value most? And uh, it comes up very frequently. The majority of times is the, the point that you made is they say, Christian, you know, we haven't actually in our busy schedules, we don't really have the time to sit back and just reflect, take time out exactly in the way you said, the idea of sitting in the office on your own for an hour, just thinking and reflecting. And and the coaching sessions are a guaranteed way of doing that. It's almost like um, uh, planned thinking time in the presence of somebody else, which legitimizes it. Because when I think about my clients, they're able to put in their diary one and a half hours meeting with Christian. It goes in the diary. It's locked in. It's legitimate if somebody walks past those two people in the room. Uh, but what they're getting is exactly what you're, you're saying. They're getting uh, uh, protected thinking time. And I think that kind of reflection is incredibly valuable. And that's the thing that my clients say is important. It's protected thinking time that, uh, that I, I agree with you is, is absolutely a necessary particularly in leadership positions and in the current context where we're busy most of the time, things are uncertain most of the time. So uh, I agree that probably that's another one of those really uh, important benefits that coaching uh, can bring. 
Before we move on to talking about younger people, you talked a lot about organizations. Now, mm. one point that I wanted to make was that I I always subscribe to this logic, obviously, because my background is in positive psychology. So, so we say that, you know, from good to great. But the reality that I'm seeing is that when people actually contact me, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, you know, something that I do. Maybe, you know, maybe it's the wording of my website or the way that my podcast comes across. But for whatever reason, people don't come to me when they're like, oh, I'm feeling great. People come when they're like, it's difficult. So that's actually what you said. Then coaching is like the least efficient. So I hope to imagine that I'm not the only one who sees this. Or or what do you think of that? Yeah. Um, So uh, I think... uh, People finding it difficult is a good point to start. So, um, because it's that frustration. Um, so, most of my clients come to me frustrated as well. So, what I'm what I was saying earlier was if if the organization has identified somebody as underperforming and directs them to have a coach, that's where it's least effective, probably. But um, uh, I think uh, starting off with somebody who is, uh, when I think to all of my clients have come to me when there's this little bit of frustration. It's not always that things are going wrong or that things are particularly difficult, but they're frustrated because they're not able either to identify exactly what it is they want or they're frustrated because something's holding them back. And so that frustration is probably a good, good place to start. Um, but yeah, you're right. As I was saying earlier, probably from an organizational point of view, um, the, the good to great place is where they're going to have the biggest, uh, um, advances. All right. I got you. Got you. Good that you clarified that. All right. So transitioning to younger people. Now you've already touched on a lot of things that for that you think coaching is valuable so the supportive the the time to reflect the the respectful nature of it how would you advise someone who is either parent or works with young people in a professional capacity like what would you say that they can benefit from applying coaching ideas or coaching tools well, the first thing I'd say is I really admire everyone who does work with, with young people uh, in whatever capacity, as a parent or as a professional. It's, it's challenging stuff and it's hugely rewarding stuff. So, uh, and I, I'm particularly passionate about this area of, of finding ways to empower young people. And, um, you know, uh, current affairs, the news we listen to every day, I'm starting to think that perhaps uh, our generations may have, uh, you know, um, we're leaving some big challenges for future generations. So I do often think, what is it that these uh, next... So we're we're actually preparing the next generations for uh, challenges that maybe we've created that we don't actually have the answers to ourselves. So that's where I think a coaching way of thinking or a positive psychology way of thinking, there's some things that we do in coaching that may be helpful for professionals just to kind of uh, think about. So um, one thing that I do as a coach um, is this, um, uh, the idea of 
um, being quite clear about the nature of the interaction. And I think that's really helpful when working with young people. Um, uh, if we're talking about young people who are in school, they're used to uh, different types of interactions. But um, when you put them in an educational setting, sometimes they're used to somebody has the answers and uh, the student doesn't have the answers. Those kind of mentality sometimes emerges. So I think one, one idea is... If uh, you're going to have a conversation with a young person where they're in the driving seat and where what we're hoping for is to facilitate their thinking about something, maybe making that explicit to say, well, in this conversation, this is the kind of thing that's going to happen. So that's one thing from coaching practice that I think uh, may be relevant or helpful. The other thing, and uh, Kristen, as a positive psychologist, you'll be fully aware of this. But um, I, I think of myself as a coach. I, I sometimes think that my role is a strengths finder, that my job is to find strengths in what I'm hearing. Again, I think with young people, um, this ability to sit with a, uh, a significant other person who's able to see strengths in them, that can be so powerful. Um, when I'm doing my coaching uh, with senior executives, Sometimes I ask them about people who inspired them or uh, if they can remember somebody who really motivated them or engaged them when they were back at school. The, the teacher or the, the adult they, they mention is usually, they say something along the lines of so-and-so saw something in me, saw a particular strength, saw a skill that I didn't even know I had. So I think that's incredibly powerful. And then uh, the last one I'm going to mention is this um, simple idea, I think we've, we've touched on it before, about the believing in, in others, believing in the ability of uh, uh, people to achieve more than they're currently achieving, is, is how I say it at the moment. So I think if um, in our interactions with uh, young people, we can show them that we actually believe in them, and um, I say this because I get to work in a number of schools, colleges, and there's some schools and colleges I go into, and I can see that the staff, everybody involved in the school, there's a high level of aspiration and high level of belief. There's a belief that these young people can achieve amazing things if they want to. And then, unfortunately, there's other places I go to where that belief's a little bit scarce, and there's uh, uh, less aspiration. And, and in those contexts, I just think uh, what's needed is more of that positive belief in people. And uh, one, one thing I remember saying at a conference or whatever is um, that actually it costs nothing to believe in young people. Uh, it's just a belief, thing, you know. And uh, the challenge I'd like to put is what's the cost of not believing? in young people because I think the cost of not believing has longer-term implications into our society but also into the life chances and prospects of those young people themselves. So I think those are the, a few of the things that I, I use in coaching, uh, you know, this idea of finding strengths, the idea of believing in people, and the idea of being quite uh, clear and specific about the nature of the interaction. I think those uh, they're small things, and I have no doubt that many people are using them already. But they're things that I do that I think can be transferable. 
I liked a lot of it, but I think what's most notable is that long-term perspective that you had, that you said pretty much at the beginning, we're, we have to prepare our young people for challenges that we can't solve yet ourselves. Mm. And I work with young people at the bank, I have for, for quite a while now, and that's the thing that I say to them, I'm like, look, I know that nobody comes to who who enters an apprenticeship at a as a bank is excited about like let's go and check out taxes you know like who is excited about taxes there there are some rare individuals but there are not yeah. a lot of them but what I say to them is like what I hope we can do together is that I can teach you tools and ways of 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 trying things, of doing things, of figuring out things by yourself that will afterwards be helpful for you. Yeah. And it's absolutely wonderful when it works out, but I have to admit, like, sometimes it's the the conventional, you know, like, checklist way that school puts into people's brains. Sometimes it's not easy to <laughs> to get around that, even if you have, like, all the education about strengths and stuff, the reconciliation of you know, the rules and regulations that they yeah. have to adhere to, but then at the same time, like trying to integrate that. But I'm so happy that, that that's where you have your focus because I think a lot of people should think about that for a change. Like all this other stuff, all this, you know, be a nice employee stuff, there's no point in it. There's going to be robots. They are already here. There's mm. a robot that can basically do better surgery than surgeons and they've tested it on a pig which is one step away from a human yeah yeah it's interesting and so i i think that's another interesting thing the idea of robots and and where we're going and and uh, when when we can have robots doing um uh really detailed things like that that's when we have to think about what it what makes us uniquely human what is the aspect what is our greatest strength and it is around the things we've been talking about, I think. And, and uh, yeah, so I, I'm 100% I'm with you on that. It's about equipping our young people. And we have to be very careful because if I were a young person today, I'd be saying to my generation, who are you to equip us with anything? <laughs> Having, you know, and not solve things ourselves. But I think if we can um, uh, work with young people to make them uh, um, think in, in a coaching-like way more often to experience that, uh, if we believe in them and empower them and encourage them, I think uh, they have, they will have what it takes to create the kind of society that's going to be appropriate uh, for their own generations. That is beautiful. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, all I'd like to say is thank you very much, uh, Kristen, for one, for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's been very thought-provoking. I like your questions. But I also really admire what you're doing through these podcasts. I think it's a wonderful way to connect uh, uh, some of the thinking around this, some of the new ideas, some of the theories with, uh, you know, how it's, practically uh, applicable so i really appreciate the work you're doing in this area thank you very much so where can people find out about your books and your your involvement with henley and all of that like where should people go if they're like hey i like this guy i want to find out more 
Oh, that would be nice. If uh, they can just say, hey, I like this guy, and I'd be very happy with that. <laughs> but uh, if they want to find out about uh, what I've written, uh, uh, the best place to go would be the Sage website. It's www.sagepub.co.uk. That's the Sage Publishers website. If you look me up, you'll see a couple of books on there. Uh, and if you're interested in what I do at, at the university, if you go to the Henley Business School website, you can look me up there. All right. Perfect. Thanks very much, Christian. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Christian and I actually didn't get to talk about one of the core concepts that he really believes in, and that's the way of being. And I want to bring him back eventually to talk about that. But I just wanted to remark that I'm not sure if you picked that up with audio only. I was, um, I saw Christian for the first couple of minutes and we said hello. And, and I just had this real sense, like this actual experience of him coming to this conversation with that clarity, with that space and with that way of being that really just puts you into, you being me in this case, into this really calm and really nice frame of mind. And that, if you can achieve that, no matter if you're a coach or if you're a parent or a teacher, whoever you are interacting with will definitely take away so much more than just the concept. So I just wanted to remark on that. I'm not sure if you got that from audio only or not. Now, I realize this, this has been a long episode and I'll let you go on soon. However, I just wanted to remark that the super supporter called Doug literally bought five pre-orders and that put us to next to done so we're almost completely funded with the two recording days and this literally happened while i was editing the, this podcast and working on it so thank you so much doug your support is incredible i don't know what to say i just hope i can repay you and all of those who believe in me with the quality of what i put out so go check it out gum.co slash brainwash gum.co slash brainwash one word talk to you soon bye bye thanks for listening to the positive psychology podcast we're saying goodbye with happy yogurt <laughs>